Greetings, surf comrades. This is Lady Reaver coming to you from beautiful Berkeley, California, and this is SurfGuitar101.com's podcast number nine. This show's theme grew out of a discussion that recently took place in one of the threads on the forum. The post asked the question, what if Rhino Records were to release a fifth disc in the Cowabunga Surf Box set, one that covered bands from 1997 through now? Following that idea, we made a list of songs that exemplify much of the best surf music to be released during that period, and we'll be presenting it to you here on this podcast. In a few cases, some of the songs we originally chose have already been played on previous podcasts, so we took the liberty of choosing another song from the same band. In addition to all that great music, as promised in the last podcast, we'll be hearing the second half of the interview that Warren Biner did with Ted Pilgrim. And I'll also be playing you a couple of brand new tunes from Chum's recently released CD, entitled Super Not Cool, which, by the way, I consider a totally inaccurate title. So, let's get right into playing the tunes that SG-101 regulars selected for a fantasy cowabunga box disc, starting with The Apes of Wrath, from the fabulous Space Cossacks.
Okay, that last song there was Ecstasy by Helsinki, Finland's Husky and the Sandmen from their CD Ride in the Wild Surf. The first song in that set was The Apes of Wrath from the Star Wars album by the Space Cossacks, featuring the amazing Ivan Pongrasik on guitar. After that, we heard the reverb-drenched tune Riptide by Boston-area band The Fathoms. That's from their album entitled Fathomless. And following Riptide was a song from the Bay Area's own Pollo Del Mar, featuring Ference Dabroni, whose interesting question launched this entire podcast. Next up is Noken Surfacing from kick-ass Norwegian band The Beat Tornadoes.
of mine whom I love very much. He lived by the sea, and I often spent all day on the beach with him just walking along. He liked to smoke cigars. And each time he took one out, he asked me the same question. Do you like music? Yes, I'd say. Well, then, here's a band for you.
What a truly great set of tunes that was. I started you off there with No Can Surfacing by The Beat Tornadoes, followed by The Red Scare from Monterey band The Infrareds. That's off their fantastic album entitled Recorded on Microfilm. After The Infrareds, we heard Mysterioso from totally awesome LA band Slacktone. That's featuring the surf genius of Dave Ronsky on guitar, Sam Bowl on bass, and Dusty Watson on drums. And finally, we heard Doheny Dawn from terrific Detroit band The Volcanoes. That's off their album Finish Line Fever. Next up is those princes of Boston, those kings of New England. Here's the Nebulas with Rhino Chaser.
that was Catharsis by fantastic German band The Kilauea's. That's off their CD entitled Las Eccentricas Aventuras del Professor Volcanova. We started off the set with Rhino Chaser from The Nebulas, followed by Thunderhead from ghoulishly great LA band The Ghastly Ones. That's a track from their CD A Haunting We Will Go Go. And finally we heard Creature Feature from fantastic Portland, Oregon band Satan's Pilgrims. And speaking of the Pilgrims, now it's time to listen to the second half of the interview that Warren Binder recorded with Satan's Pilgrims drummer, Ted Pilgrim. Please stay tuned. Well, let's go back and talk about some of the previous albums. You mentioned this time you spent a lot more time in the studio and had a lot more at your disposal. Was, uh, how different was that than, say, when you went in to make the first record? Uh, a lot different. Um, the first record, we, um, we, it was sort of like, you know, uh, a sprint, you know, we had, we were excited, and we were a new band, and, well, we were a couple of years old, but, you know, to be, we never thought, we never thought we'd go in and actually make a record. I mean, you know, we, we thought a surf band, like, we'd play some parties and play live, and it'd be fun, and that would be it, and, you know, but we started writing originals, and then we got asked to do, asked by a label to do the first record, and so we were really excited. So it was kind of like, but we also had a couple of years of material built up. So we went in, and it was just like, let's just knock out every song we know. Well, maybe not every song. There are a lot of covers we didn't record, but we did do a fair amount of them. But we also did um, as many originals we could. And so that for the first one, we sort of picked. We sort of wanted to come out strong in like the surf realm, and, and I think that was like the sort of the most, you know, of, of all our records, it's been the most surf, I think, song to song throughout. Um, and then, um, so we did that, and then we got asked to do a record by Estrus, which ended up being Soul Pilgrim, and. Um, we had a bunch of songs from doing the first session that um, we put together, and that was Soul Pilgrim. Um, and then we got, then we started trying to do another one for Empty Records, and we had, at, this, at this point, you can tell, sort of, um, we had enough songs, sort of enough songs, that was kind of short, but um, to throw in another record and kind of incorporate it into it and that was around the world with Satan's program. So what I'm saying is the first three records were really pretty much recorded all at the same time and we sort of divvied them divvied up the songs into into the records. There's a, there's probably four or five songs spread out over second and third one that I think we went back in to do I think with like the Hammond organ um, but a lot of the a lot of it was 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 left over from that initial session so our fourth record Creature Feature was really a, kind of our second record and we spent a little more time on that one and uh, but still we, uh, we were limited by money and 
stuff like that. But um, so that's like what we really. They're kind of you don't really hear like much growth in like the re- the recording process or how things are recorded in the first three records. They all kind of sound similar. And then I think Creature Feature kind of makes that jump where we went to a new place and um, we had been on the road a lot more and we knew more what we wanted to do. We weren't just like trying to get a product out. We were consciously trying to make a, a single album of songs that, you know, um, had a sound, you know, had a different sound to them. And then, so that was good. And people seemed to like that one. And I mean, um, they were all, I don't know, to what, for what I know, they were all received fine. Like no one really noticed. Maybe they noticed. But, um, and then while we were on tour for the creature feature, we ended up switching over to music recordings. And, we got back from that tour in November and went back in the studio to do the music record, the self-titled one, that December. So that was a real rush job, but we also came right off the road and we were in good shape and we kind of, we had to write songs real quick, but I think it, I don't know, it came out good too, but, you know, as far as, I mean, out of all of those, before this, before this new one, Creature Feature was the only one I ever felt like we consciously, you know, like we had a little space to work on. And, and, and then this one, we definitely, we had pretty much a year to work on. So. so how did you guys wind up playing a show at Bruce Willis's place? Okay. Uh, well, we lived, we were in Portland, and... Bruce Willis pretty much took over this town called Haley, Idaho, which is near Sun Valley, which is where all the stars go to ski and everything. So, or they did back then. And um, a good friend of ours um, that grew up with Robert, and um, he's actually Robert's brother-in-law now, um, but uh, we all knew him, too. We were all friends with him. He had... uh, moved out there to start a painting company and also some restaurants he's a really great cook Asian food cook he's part Filipino and a really great cook anyway so he's just this totally crazy entrepreneur guy just like and um he'd gone to he went to Evergreen State and Olympia friends with the you know he went to school with both the guys that started Sub Pop and Calvin Johnson who started K Records and you know he just was like it was just real normal to him to like have these like entrepreneur slash rock friends and everything so anyway he's uh he's painting all these houses in Haley, Idaho and he's not making curry and uh he's like painting one day and he was listening um to us, I like a tape or whatever, like Robert had given him, and he's painting Demi Moore's new dollhouse. Like she had a whole house, like this Victorian old, like eighteen something house in the country in Idaho that Bruce had bought for her to keep her dolls in. 
And uh, so anyway, he's painting his house, and uh, Bruce Willis walks through, like, oh, it's good. What's this music you go listen to? And he's like, it's my friend singing songs. And he's like, well, that's crazy, because I'm like working on this new, uh, new movie that has this kind of music in it, you know, and he was working on Pulp Fiction. And so they start talking, and then he, there's a couple clubs in Sun Valley and in Haley that, you know, he does this whole Bruno harmonica thing, blues harmonica thing. And so he's like, I want to bring these guys out, and they can play at my New Year's Eve party. So the next thing we know, I mean, it's before, I think it's before we even have a record out or anything, we're like heading over to Sun Valley to play New Year's Weekend with um, James Cotton as the headliner, the blues, you know, harpist. And uh, we like brought a bunch of our friends and we were just totally, you know, like we got like free ski passes, you know, lift passes as part of the deal and lodging and all this, um, you know, all this stuff paid for and food and everything. It was fun. It was great. But we played and, um, you know, we played from like 9 to 11 or something and then, you know, it was like full on blues fest from that point on for midnight and everything with Bruce. But, you know, there were, it was sort of like the, all the waiters and waitresses and people that work in that town all came to see us play. And if they were able to, if they weren't working or whatever. And we made fun of friends with a lot of them too while we were there. And then, but we did um, rack up like a $350 bar tab that night, so we that kind of bit into our uh, into our earnings. We had to kind of sort things out at the end of the night. But he invited us back, and I think not the next year, but the year after that, we went back again to do another New Year's one. And that time, the headliner was uh, oh man, Betty Wright, the clean up woman from Stacks Records. So that was cool, and I was I'm, I'm a huge soul music fan, so. I was excited. I'm not excited about James Cotton too, but um, that I got really sick that time. I was like feverish, throwing up, and everything. But is that from Bruce's set? Yeah. No. I just showed up that way. I didn't get to a scene or anything. But I was like feverish, but I I still felt good because. Betty Wright, after we were done, and I was like, okay, I'm going straight back to bed, and, you know, I, I did watch her rehearse that, but she caught my arm as I was leaving, and she said, I saw you working out behind the drums. I was like, all right, I got the Betty Wright seal of approval. I can go puke again. So, but yeah, that was, you know, we always have these weird, you know, when you're a surf band, you always have those, uh, you know, you can play like a really nasty club one night and then, you know, have like a good a good gig with dinner and everything else with the next, you know. It's it was that was cool, it was fun. And he, you know, he was a very nice guy. He was a good guy, I have to say. I was all prepared to be all you know unimpressed by him, but he was a really good guy. So, going back to the new album, this time around, you decided to put it out on your own record label. How did that decision come about? 
Well, all the other ones, someone had asked us to do a record or said, it's your turn to do a record. And, you know, no one else knew that we were recording. So no one was making any offers. <laughs> no, we, but we'd always, we'd been around. I mean, it was just obvious. I mean, we, we recognized that maybe we should have been putting our stuff out back in the 90s, but we didn't, you know, we were just busy trying to have a band. And, and I think taking that break when we stopped playing and having a chance to, like, step back and, kind of, you know, look at things with fresh eyes and then combine that with, like, how things are now compared to 10 years ago. There's no sense in putting something on a label now when you can do it for... I mean, it's a lot of work and a lot of effort, and but it's really not... At the same time, it's like, shit, someone took a bunch of money off the top to do this, you know? back then, you know, this and that, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you know, if you spend an hour a day on it, you could do more than a label ever would do for you. I'll, I'll, I'll share that little secret. So, but, you know, back then, the internet was just kind of starting, I mean, you know, there's so many more resources now, and it's just the way it's gone. Just doesn't make sense to put it out with a label anymore. How does oh, And have them be like, yeah, we'll get you your, you know, XYZ percent someday and get these measly, you know, when you can just see, you know, you know what's going on and you can recoup your costs and your initial investment and then from that point on, it's all yours. And then you can use that money to go play shows and you know and you know it's uh, it just fits with the way things are now I mean not that many bands are out there driving around in a van for eight weeks anymore it just doesn't I guess some would do it but especially a surf band it's just it's just not happening so it just made sense so you guys put the album out on your own label this time around where can people go to buy copies? Well, it's funny you ask that one. Um, they can go to satanspilgrims.com and uh, you can order it there. There's also links from our MySpace page and our Facebook page and all those kind of pages. But um, the easiest way is probably just go straight to satanspilgrims.com. And thank you very much. Thanks for your time. I appreciate it. That was a great interview, and I just want to say thanks so much to Ted Pilgrim. I'm sure I speak for many SG101 members in hoping that somehow we can persuade the Pilgrims to play next year's surf music convention. I also want to thank Warren, not just for another terrific interview, but for all the awesome tune suggestions he made for this particular podcast. All right, comrades, before we resume listening to our Fantasy Cowabunga set list, I want to make sure to tie up a loose end I left hanging from the last show. At that time, I neglected to include a track from the Revent Lows, a very talented bunch of guys who I was so happy to be able to meet at the Surf Guitar 101 convention back in August. So at the beginning of this next set, we'll be hearing a beautiful Revent Low song off their CD entitled Essential Revent Low. And following that, I'm going to be playing two of my favorite tracks from Chum's recently released CD, Super Not Cool.
Okay, the first song we heard in that set was Andromeda Sex Lounge. That was from Costa Mesa band The Reventlos. And after that we heard Type D and Tijuana Taco. Two brand new tunes off Chum's latest CD entitled Super Not Cool. Next up and resuming on our Cowabunga set list here is The Amazing Sandstorm from the Madeira, which as you might already know is the title track from their CD of the same name.
That is such a beautiful tune. That's a choice cut off an album I've become totally addicted to listening to on my iPod. That was Ice Station Echo from Frankie and the Pool Boys. Starting things off there was Sandstorm by awesomely talented band The Madeira, followed by Tunisian Moon from Berlin band Los Twang Marvels from their latest release, Jungle of Twang. And finally, we heard amazing Japanese band Wild Sammy playing Wild Jet Beach. That's from their CD entitled Speed Crazy. The next tune I'll be playing for you is from Italian surf band The Wet Tones, and it was clearly inspired by Native American drum rhythms. It's called Apache Trail.
started that set with the wet tone song Apache Trail, followed by the Celluloid Planetoid from Vancouver, Canada's Metalunas. That's off their CD X-1. After the Metalunas was a song from LA band The Bomboras. From their CD Head Shrink and Fun, the song was called War of the Satellites. And the last song there was Mr. Midnight from the Huntington Cats. That's a track they contributed to a compilation CD entitled Secret Agent Sounds. Well, comrades, I could go on and on playing several more sets for this fantasy cowbunga fifth disc, but unfortunately I only have time to play you one more set. This is Last Train from fantastic Japanese band The Surf Coasters.
That was Dragonfly from Austin, Texas band The Thunder Chiefs from their CD, Dig the Thunder Chiefs. We started off the set with Last Train from the Surf Coaster CD, Surf Delic. After that we heard Miranda from Dutch surf band The Treble Spankers. That was from their CD entitled Araban. And following Miranda was a song called Surfer's Anthem. That was from Evan Foster off a great CD simply titled Instrumentals. I hope you had as good a time as I did listening to all these great tracks. For the last tune in this show, I'll be playing the appropriately named Final Wave of the Day. This is from the CD In Sonic Bullets from the Bambi Molesters. So until next time, Surf Comrades, for SurfGuitar101.com, this has been Lady Reverb, who hopes you'll keep your music alive, the love in your heart, and that reverb tank in good working order.